Is this new? It's ostentatiously large. It's, it's like the top half of a laptop. It, it really is. It's slightly unwieldy. <laughs> Just slightly. The only reason I got it is because it's effectively an A4 page. Yeah, which is quite satisfying. Yeah, so you'll see my, like, if you look at my... Uh, He's been using it a lot. It a lot. It's great. He finally listened and bought it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Been telling him for, like, a year. Uh, to actually make notes on things. Yeah. That's quite satisfying. Yeah, it is incredibly satisfying. I used to just print them off and make notes on them, but that's a massive waste of paper apart yep. from anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can just like change the pencil and do scribble, nice. scribble outs and things. It's really handy. And I colour on it. It's nice. Yeah, that's, really good. that's good too. Hello and welcome to Money for Old Rope, a podcast ostensibly about idioms, this week hosted by three of your favourite people, Lucy, Deborah and Adam. Thanks for joining both. Are we the favourites now? We are the favourites. We're de- always we've the We've declared ourselves the favourites. <laughs> and the other favourite's gone swanning off around Asia. Well, so, yeah, that's fair. Unfortunately. There's, there's only room at the top for three, and one of them left, so... Lucy, what is your idiom? Uh, don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Nice. Well, You've definitely checked and we've done that? Yes. Good to know. <laughs> Deborah, what is your idiom? Spinning a yarn. Ah, okay, cool. Nice. Thanks. Mine is... I also checked, and I we also have not done that. <laughs> We've done really obscure ones. Mm. Like I've genuinely, I've got a list of them, and I was like, "Oh, we must have done some of these like thirty idioms." I found no, none of them, none of them. We've not done any generic idioms, no. only the really weird, really ones. obscure ones that <laughs> no one's ever heard of. People like, yeah, I've heard quite a few that I'm like, I've never heard that before. In my life. I get crucified for mine because I pick them up from like politicians who are using slang from the 1800s. Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, that's that doesn't surprise me. It my is you, so <laughs> thanks. My idiom this week is that old chestnut. Please tell me you've at least heard that oh, one. Oh, I have yes. heard that. Excellent. That's really nice, actually. I haven't. I think I've said that as well, which is unusual. For I me. used it in conversation with idiom, using it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's start with mine then, since you've both heard it, and I'm actually quite happy about that. All right, then. What do you think? Well, what does it mean? What does that old chestnut mean? It's like, I think like an old story. Like, oh, yeah, that old chestnut. We've heard that one before. Yeah. That you're going to do that, and you're never going to do it. Something overplayed, something replayed. Yeah, I think times, so. Sort of yeah, thing. like you've you've kind of it's something that you've heard the story that you've heard before. So like, oh, some guy gets a new secretary and ends up having an affair. Like oh, that old thing. That old. Like chestnut. it's just people being predictable in predictable situations. So yeah, acknowledgement that something is a cliche or potentially been heard before several times was the sort of uh, definition that I landed on. Although people sent, people did have a couple of different def- definitions of it. Like it's an anecdote that's been said before, or it's just a series of events that happens. You know, in a like, Phil went out to the off-license and got a six-pack, and then he was bladdered by nine o'clock, that old chestnut. That sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, like one person repeating the same behaviour kind <laughs> yeah, yeah. of thing. Yeah. That's the idea. Where do we think it came from? Well, in the uh... development of Fable, Peter Molyneux came up with some right nonsense, including that in the game you'd be able to plant an acorn, and over the course of the game it'd grow. So, I think he stole that from someone who'd done the exact same thing a long time ago, but with a chestnut. And a chestnut tree. So they were just like, oh yeah, you can plant this magical chestnut and it will grow. And he'd sell this chestnut to someone and they'd plant it and it would not grow. And then, and then people would fall for it every yeah, time. And they'd fall for it every single time. He'd just Every every year he'd just be like, yes, plant my magical chestnut. And they would like, buy it this time. and plant it. Because they'd be convinced this time it will definitely work. All right, then. And then it never grew. There was no chestnuts. So a sort of amalgamation between Peter Molyneux slash... Jack and the I Beanstalk. just wanted to bring that one up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's just name-dropping knowledge, basically. She's knowledge-dropping. Yeah, that's what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, Peter Molyneux does have a bad habit of just promising the world and then delivering Spoon. Who He's is not, that? 
He's the game developer behind what used to be Lionhead Studios. I think it's been sold now, but might still... Yeah, uh, it got disbanded, I think. Um, they all and went he off also developed Bullfrog back in the 90s, all right, yeah. which developed Theme Hospital, um, Theme Park World. We all know of Theme Hospital. Mm. It's a great Anything game. Anything theme. It's a phenomenal Big game. Fan. And Dungeon Keeper 1 and 2. Nice. Although he was only a producer on Dungeon Keeper 2, he wasn't one of the lead developers, which, pro- which really shows because Dungeon Keeper 1 is a much better... And he also more recently developed a game called Goddess... And what's in the box or what's in the cube? Yeah, that one was weird. Where people had to like mine a cube. It was an app you downloaded on mm. your phone, and you download you mined this million block cube by just tapping repeatedly on the on the block. And the winner, the person mm. that t- uh, destroyed the last block, got to be the god of gods in the game Goddess. It never materialized. That it was sounds basically. so complicated. Yeah, it was, it, it was <laughs> like and also really dull. Yeah, just like tap on this a million times and you might win. I, like, ch- I'm not I gonna win. when it was new, I remember going on it and clicking like five times and like, well, this is dumb. Yeah, close. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I guess it really appeals to a certain type, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's, definitely- like, there's at least eight people out there who are continuously typing throughout the day, just like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm doing that work. I'm just going to do this 600 more taps, and then I'm, I'm good, <laughs> also, guys. I'm good. You know, just um, having an auto-clicker sat there doing it for you. Uh, well, <laughs> well, you know, we, we pretend those That's things cheating. don't exist. So we've got random amalgamation of Jack and the Beanstalk yep. and Peter Molyneux. Okay. Liar that he is. Deborah, any ideas? Um, I'm going to go with... Some sort of story about chestnut trees in the medieval times <laughs> where people used to go to them and tell them stories and imagined that the tree would help them change their behavior. Yeah. Ah, so more magic chestnut trees. More magic, magic chestnut, chestnut trees. Because it feels like magic chestnut tree must be a thing. That's ah. kind of where we're going with this. It's England. There's yeah. been a magic chestnut tree at some point. Must have been. Probably several. You can probably go on guided tours of old I mean, villages where they take you around all the magic chestnut trees. 90% of the time it's probably a magic oak tree. But mm. there's that magic 10%, that one in 10, they're like super I feel magic. like most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's like cherry blossom and plum blossom. You... There's people taking pictures of plum blossoms and going, look at this pretty cherry blossom. They don't know. We yeah, but I think generally like people just assume cherry blossom is the word that you use for blossom. Yeah, probably. don't think people really understand that cherry blossom and mm. plum blossom and apple blossom are really different things. Like Xerox. Yeah, like so. Xerox for the Americans. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Which means nothing to most British people, but exactly. it's just, we, we use a uh, Hoover. Oh, we do use Hoover. We yeah. use Hoover in that it's sense. Probably vacuum cleaner most of the time. And Velcro as well. Yep. Which is oh, look brand Velcro. I do. I just felt like the need to tell everyone how much I love Velcro. <laughs> it's great. So you reckon some sort of wishing well est oak tree? Yeah. Nice. Some sort of thing that like chestnut maybe there's tree. a spirit in there. Something. Okay. So dryad slash magic chestnut tree bean yep. thing. Okay. So it's quite a long origin, so I figured I'd just give you this one. All right. In eighteen sixteen, a play named The Broken Sword was performed in the Royal Covent Garden Theatre. Should have known it'd be a play. The play <laughs> contains the following lines Xavier I entered the wood at Collerace, where suddenly from the thick bough of a cord tree, Pablo jumping up, A chestnut, Captain! A chestnut, Captain! This is the 27th time I've heard you relate this story, and you invariably said, A chestnut, till now. And the play was a massive success. It went on to play in the USA. Thereafter, in the 1880s, newspapers started using the phrase chestnut in the way we do to refer to stories repeated frequently. Mm. It's also spelled chess, C-H-E-S, nut. So no T in the middle of it, which I oh, maybe we added that in later. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an odd one. I don't know why we would add a T in the middle of the word chestnut. It sounds like chest something nut. someone writing a dictionary would have done. Ah, we can just blame like, um, yeah. who's what's his name? The oh. reformists. Oh, who maybe it was just an awkward like you know it was an S, but yeah, really bad. Like, oh, oh, that looks like chess. 
and it's like yeah. oh that's a T and it's just got repeated I don't think that happens that often where it's like one one story or one novel goes into the public consciousness enough mm. it's a, it then becomes an idiom that's pretty impressive well part two <gasps> dun 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 mm. Part two is there is an adage that says that wasn't the be all and the end all of where where it came from. And an Ohio newspaper in 1896 explained the phrase's origin as being from a dinner where the actor who played the part of Pablo, the one who jumps Mm. out from behind the tree, overheard a dubious story and murmured a chestnut under his breath, referencing the play. And while so then, like, became a popular way of doing that as well. Yeah, so he'd picked it up from the play. He heard someone muttering a story nearby that he'd heard a hundred times or that he'd completely discredited, and he muttered, like, a chestnut <laughs> under his breath to discredit him further. And it's unconfirmed, but I like the idea of that being the part two of the story, that a chestnut fell into common usage, common vernacular because of a play, and then the actor from the play using it quite frequently. It just seemed quite nice. Tidy nice, little, satisfying uh, yeah, idiom. incredibly satisfying origin. Unlike some of the other ones we have previously had. <laughs> <laughs> like, could be this guy. He seems like a guy who would say the word chestnut. <laughs> yep. He seems like a thing. That's cool. The OED, Oxford English Dictionary, cited the above theory, as in the uh, explanation from the newspaper of him using it at a dinner party, as plausible. <laughs> oh, well, you, know. <laughs> take that, you can take that to the bank. <laughs> well, if the Oxford English Dictionary says it's plausible, Count me in. I'm ready. A tidbit on chestnut. Uh, chestnut, C-H-E-S, nut, was more common until about the 1840s, at which point chestnut took over. So the T was added around the 1840s, and then there's a massive spike in usage of chestnut. People don't really pronounce the T very much, though, do they? No. It's like it's, no, it's in your head, but you kind of say chestnut. There's a, there is a bit of a something there. But... It's like the silent Z at the beginning of your name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly the same. It was used in Austin Powers Gold Member in 2002, which means there's also a sudden spike on the engram. Where <laughs> around 2002, there's a sudden increase in the word, in the phrase "an old chestnut." Is that no? That's you know that bit where he's on the bed and he's pretending he's a acorn. No, it's used by. Okay, I've not seen Gold Member, but it's used oh, by it's the Gold uh, Member, isn't it? Oh, it's a different film. It's used by the the ball guy in it. All right, yeah. <laughs> I may have seen Austin Powers too many times. Me and my sister used to watch them a lot when we were kids. Right. We were really big fans. Yeah, I've not really seen it. Any of it. It's yeah. just, it's the just... first and second ones I've probably seen 50 times. It's parody Bond, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, just par- it. it's just men in velvet suits dancing around like it's men 60s. Suits. On a vaguely related note, chestnut ice cream is cool. Oh, it sounds tasty. Mm. Oh, we had that one. Yeah, we, went, we had chestnut ice cream in Japan. Yeah, it was we? really hard to get. We went to the Hokusai Museum. <laughs> Put a lot of effort into this chestnut ice cream. It <laughs> just be weren't serving. It was very confusing. It was like, mm. please, just give me ice cream. Got it in the end. It was good. Mm, nice. Do you know who Hokusai is? No. He painted the... Uh, the print that we have in the kitchen. That includes Gyarados and Magic Card. I know, but if you take those out... It's it's um <laughs> it, the wave the famous Japanese wave yeah, 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 yeah. picture that's yeah. Hokusai. All oh, right, um, yeah. and, and I, other types like that. I yeah. really offended of our tour guide in Japan by saying I didn't really rate him, and I thought his pictures were a bit naff, really. Well, Adam, if there was ever anyone who was going to go to Japan um, <laughs> specifically to go and see art, and then be like, you know, I've come all this way, but I'm not that big a fan actually. Like, it would probably be you. And how how did that go down? What did he say? Uh, Just like, sh- well, great. She, she she was incredibly annoyed with me. Yeah, she yeah. was a bit offended. Um, we just had to put it down to cultural differences. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure that's a cultural difference. I think that's uh, an Adam difference. He's not very good at... Right, okay, he's not a very good but artist. Let's it was mostly it. the fact that the horses looked very strange. Lucy, the horses are very strange. Surely Lucy. it's all like a... You, they don't have to 
be we're getting back into art discussion <laughs> now but like you know things don't have to look the way they are yeah they're very strange though it's supposed to be very big bodies and very small legs stylized you mean it's, stylized yeah. well yeah sort of but it's supposed to be the essence of whatever it is you're painting yeah exactly it's not doesn't necessarily have to look like a thing which i understand except they were like a child through them i see and it annoyed me basically the anger is what is what is the overriding feeling that I'm, you have about anything that is slightly wrong <laughs> i am a big fan of hyper realistic art yeah a really great hyper realistic art because you know the ones where they um they paint like a face but it'll be photorealistic that's what it's called where it looks like a picture it's that detailed and that precise it looks yeah that's like that a sounds very much like something you would enjoy <laughs> <laughs> technical accomplishments oh this this looks exactly like the thing that it is it has absolutely no no, sure. no abstraction whatsoever surely that's the i marker. love this it's perfect surely that's the marker of a good piece of art that it is effectively indistinguishable from whatever the artist from whatever no. the artist was painting no. i mean you know, if isn't, anything, isn't, I would say that like I appreciate the technic the technicalities involved in something like that, but I think it's boring. I think the technical skill can be good, but I mean, like people like the birth of Venus and stuff, and there's like floating babies in that. Like <laughs> they're, they're pretty accurate babies, I mean, but they're floating babies. Floating babies makes it sound people like people like things, but sometimes there are floating babies in that. Thing. <laughs> it's just upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> like, babies shouldn't float, Adam. I want every single art book to replace the word cherub with floating babies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lucy. That's our, our next goal. Um, podcast goal number one. Removing the word cherub from history and replacing it with <laughs> floating babies. Lucy, what was your idiom? Uh, don't cut your nose after spite your face. In the news because of various politicians and Brexit? Because it keeps no, I researched used. this like three weeks ago. I just found, I just picked used. it. It doesn't have to have something to do with yeah. politics. Not all of us follow Everything politics. Has to not do everyone with politics. cares. Not everyone watches the daily politics. Subscribe to Political Theatre, the <laughs> Vamp Nation sister podcast. <laughs> if you care, if you don't so, care, don't listen to this one instead. <laughs> so what? What does it mean? It's effectively self-flagellation. You're you're punishing yourself. Maybe not intentionally. You're doing something that you know will uh, cause you cause you a bit of grief later on. Is it even, do you do it yourself or is, do you use it for other people doing something? Um, I think in general, it's like when someone offers you uh, two options to do a thing and you go for the easy option that will bite you back later. So you kind of go like, say, do I save £10 now or do I, or do, do I spend £10 now or do I save it and have £100 to spend later? And it's like, well, I really want the thing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy the £10 thing. Doing something, yeah, that that has uh, bad consequences for you later. Yeah, is great in the meantime. So it's it's a sort of easy get out. Is that kind of what it means? Um, the idea is kind of right, but the examples she means no, we're the, wrong. Is no. what she's trying no. to say. The idea is right. You're almost there. <laughs> the idea is about right. It's just the examples a bit off. Um, so it's more like needlessly self-destructive reaction to a problem that will then end up hurting you more than the person you're trying to get back at. So it's usually. Someone's done something you don't like. Oh, it's like revenge. Basically, in revenge, you do something, but it really hurts you more. It's just like, um, ah, I don't like you anymore. So you you drank Coke at our house one time, so I'm never buying Coke ever again. So that if you come over, you can't have a drink, even though I like it a lot. This is like just a stupid reaction to something that just hurts you more. I feel like that was a very specific example. Yeah, it feels like it was something really that happened ma- no. to you once where you <laughs> went to someone's house and they didn't have coke in and you were like, I know exactly what you did. <laughs> I don't even you like... You never drank any coke. I don't even like coke yet. that much. Um, as for origins, yep. as to ch- cut off your options. nose to spite your face. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into that, I'm going to guess 
that it actually comes from a fable. Because I have... Because you like fables. No, it's because I've got an idea <laughs> in the back of my mind that it's from... It's from a fable of somebody chopping bits off themselves gradually. And either it's just a really warped ah. nightmare that I had one time. Or, <laughs> That's pretty warped. That's fair. That or it's be. a fable. And I... I feel like it's like a Victorian fable, so that's what I'm going to have to stick with, even though I can't elaborate on it because it may have been a dream. Cool. Debs, any, any thoughts? I had a, I'm going to elaborate further on the dream theory and say that I had a dream this morning. You know, like that really fast dream where you, you fall deep asleep for another 20 minutes and oh, have yeah. a really, really intense dream. I had a dream that my neighbor's finger got eaten off by my cat. Nice. And mm. I had to, like, walk around the house trying to find the police who were also in my house to try and report the fact that my cat had eaten my neighbor's finger. Mm. So that was odd. Um, <laughs> uh, you wake up like completely like, oh God, what's happening? Where, where is the... Oh no, it was a dream. It's all fine. There are no fingers being eaten all as well. Um, so yeah, idioms. Um, I think it's Shakespeare. Shakespearean? It sounds so Shakespearean. Yeah. It's got to be some sort of like... Um, like Pound of Flesh from Merchant of Venice. Yeah, that kind of thing, but like a, a a phrase that was used in it to describe someone's feelings like Hamlet or Macbeth or yeah. something of like, I guess, Macbeth's nature actually is the exact... That fits quite well with what he does, often cutting off his nose to spite his face. Yeah. Because he was going to get there anyway. I'm trying to think of the theory if it's a about bit, Macbeth. But... I'm trying to think if it's a bit in the play because I've played in that play twice. I was Macduff once. Never Were in you? Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. I was. Did you remember all Never the words? Macbeth. My main issue with acting in general was remembering all the words. Yeah. So whenever I find someone who did remember all the words, I'm very impressed. I was awful at remembering words. Uh, I was I'm less impressed. Mm. I was great at it. I used to memorize the entire script. Show off. Yeah. <laughs> she looks so smug right now. You can't tell, but you can see it in her eyes. <laughs> Um, I, ju- I would literally be like reading it 10 minutes before I had to go on stage yep. and then as soon as you go on stage you forget the first line anyway it's a nightmare I'm not good I don't have a good memory for I remember like one or line exactly which is like ring the alarm bell <laughs> because it's not alarm bell ring the alarm bell and I'm pretty sure it was just the way that I was saying it because I was like however old I was at the time yeah. but young and I, it's the just, alarm it's like stuck a farmer. In, it's stuck in my head because the first time I ever said it on stage the entire the, the cast who was watching just burst out laughing I was like oh, I'm never going to live that down <laughs> and, and now he brought it up again people followed just to make sure forever yeah. ringing alarm bells because <laughs> I because I over pronounce my R's because of where I'm from alarm is the most ridiculous sounding word I think I've ever said alarm <laughs> just like oh just catch me in four syllables time when I've finished saying arr <laughs> god I'd hate to hear a pirate from Burnley yeah. <laughs> Lucy what are your options okay um so was it nuns cutting off their faces uh, off, no, not their faces, off their faces. <laughs> nuns cutting off their noses so they'd be too ugly to rape oh um, god is it from That's very specific yeah is it from a play uh, where it was a punishment that was meted out by the state for people who were just considered traitors of the state or, you know, pretty much anything, because why not, uh, where they would put you in the stocks and cut your nose off? Or was it King Henry IV of France who seemed willing to sacrifice the city of Paris because the citizens objected to him being a monarch? Sacrifice how? Um, it was being attacked and he was, like, just going to pull out and let them take it. And he was like, screw you, I've got niece. Yeah. Yeah, basically, it's like, well, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't like me as king, then guess I won't be king anymore. I'll just leave, and they can have you. Weird. Yeah. 
I think that, that's probably a very French thing, and the citizens, the citizens of France would probably be quite... Well, these, these are the sort of, you know, the country that got rid of their monarchs in quite a brutal fashion. It wouldn't surprise me mm. if they were quite happy to let the king pull out and just let them leave them with Paris. Um, I like the France one. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Henry the Fourth of France. I'm going to go with number two, because it feels like something that I would have read in a horrible history book. It's, oh, the uh, it's the nuns. It's the oh. nuns! Um, to be fair, it just seemed like a weird thing to have made up. Yeah, <laughs> um, Ooh, quite relieved. Yeah, Woo. <laughs> to be fair, they were all like, "Oh, maybe it's this," but it, it's it's pretty accepted that it's the story of the nuns. So it's known to have been used in the twelfth century, and it may be associated with numerous legends of women disfiguring themselves to protect their virginity, in particular. But the biggest example is Saint Ebba. Um, I think there's a few variations on the name, so I have no idea if I'm saying it right. But um, in Saint Abba, yeah, <laughs> no, not Abba, not Saint Abba. Abba. Yeah. <laughs> in AD eight six seven, Viking pirates from New Zealand and Uppsala landed in Scotland. When Saint Ebba found That's out, she gathered her nuns together and urged them to disfigure themselves so that it were, they would be unappealing to the Vikings. She cut off her nose and her upper lip, and the nuns did the same. Aww. The raiders were so disgusted that they burnt them alive in the building that they were in. So yeah, that worked out really well. Um, Guess he probably would have died anyway. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah. Oh God, basically. that's grim. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's where it's generally accepted. But it also, it wasn't uncommon in the Middle Ages for someone to cut off the nose of a person for various reasons, including punishment mm. or as an act of revenge, because you know, crazy. It's quite. Um, it's quite an easy one as well, isn't it? The nose, because there's no. It's yeah, like, well, yeah, it's just cartilage. easy. Well, well it's just cartilage. The, the thought of the crunching bone in my head is horrifying. <laughs> well, that's why I mean it's easy, because there's no bone, is there? It's cartilage. No, but so it, it just still makes like... the crunchy noise. Um, <laughs> she says that she... <laughs> holding my own nose together, like, ah! As far as further uh, instances, in the 1796 edition of Gross's Classical Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue, he cut off his nose to be revenged of his face, is, desfi- is defined as... One who, to be revenged on his neighbour, has materially injured himself. The word face is used here in the sense of honour. That just conjures up images of somebody walking out onto the, on the, onto the driveway and going, Yeah, I broke my leg. What do you think about that? <laughs> Sucks to be you, neighbour! <laughs> I could kind of see some people being like, You know what? I am so determined to park outside my house. I am going to absolutely injure myself so that I can have a disabled spot. And therefore, you can't park there anymore, and it is mine. That's a level of petty that I could genuinely see somebody. Yeah, taking. I could see someone doing it. I can't, but that might just <laughs> that might tell a little bit more about you than it does about it's, me. I think it tells more about where we live and how many cones there are defending yeah, people's spaces. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, you, you're definitely in a in a more crowded, area. heavy yeah. um, battle zone than yeah. I. It's very crowded. Um, we have a dead car on our driveway, but we do own a driveway, so that's quite nice. Ooh. Yeah, it's just it's just had a car on it for eight months because because <laughs> of the reasons. <laughs> Decoration. Yeah, exactly. Who needs a Christmas tree when you can have a dead car? No, you could. You could, yeah, you could burn it out in winter and just have a smouldering wreckage on you. Exactly. Yeah. People don't do that enough these days. I'm really glad that we went with yours for number two because I would have hated to end on that note. That was a very bleak note. It's pretty. Bleak. It's very grim. It's, it's just like it's ah. like 867 AD. Uh, yeah, when was that? Vikings. So like, how was... do people get from New Zealand to Scotland at that time? In a boat, I guess. There's not uh, many. In a boat, no. There's there's not yeah, 867 AD. Is there? Where is it? What? 867 AD, and yeah, Viking pirates from New Zealand to Scotland. So how they were do pretty you determined. Do that? Uh, I guess they stopped on the way. 
They must have stopped on a, a, a lot of times on the way. Just like you would definitely stopping at every coast. Viking pirates from New Zealand. Apparently, yeah, this is this is the story I read. The, the I think I've heard this before that there were Vikings in New Zealand, but mm. I didn't realise they came back again to murder nuns and then got, went back again. <laughs> Seems a little bit implausible. Specifically, Scottish nuns. Yeah. I'm listening to um, a British history podcast at the moment, but I'm only at the Celts. So when I hit um, Viking era. <laughs> And I, if I don't hear about these nuns or these Vikings from New Zealand, be I'm going to be calling them up. Yeah. Uh, I'll be ringing him. Deborah, what was your idiom? Spinning a yarn. Spinning a yarn. Yes. As in uh, spinning a story or you're, you're pulling a story out of the air or you're sort of remembering something that you've you've learned because you're an excellent actor and you know the words to all of your plays and you can pull the story <laughs> you just out of thin air. Pull that out of thin air. This yeah. Spinning a, spinning a yarn is... Um, spinning a yarn is... is, is Coming up with a tale either off the top of your head or something that you already know, but I think more likely coming off the top of your head and then delivering it to an audience. Lucy, thoughts? I've used this in a job interview. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you say you were spinning a yarn? Because I'm not sure that would have gone across so well. Uh, no, I, um, I was asked why I have my degree in the thing I have my degree in and how I then ended end up and how I then ended up in IT. And I said, "Well, let me spin you a yarn." <laughs> <laughs> Glamorous. Yes. I like it. It's that kind of faux, like, um, comfortability that, yeah. you, that you end up having in interviews where you're like, well, I'm actually a very confident person and I'm going to tell yeah, you now like, I have exactly why that happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're chuckling and jovial despite the fact that we met five minutes ago. Yeah. We're having a good time together. <laughs> we would have a good time together in the future. Yeah. If you I'm not playing. being judged heavily right now. <laughs> I'm comfortable. Please pay me money. Yeah. <laughs> Some money, please. So, um, so yeah, just like I just use it in. Let me just tell you a tale. Yeah, it's like tell you a story. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. It's probably far more specific, but uh, pretty much just let me tell you a story. I feel like Adam covered literally every base. Yeah, pretty much. Um, by just saying all of the ways it could be, <laughs> but actually, it's actually really generic. It's yeah, okay. a long story or tale, sometimes implying one of a marvelous or incredible kind. Also a mere tale. So, like, literally any story and just coming up with that story. I think it's been used in, like, a Disney film or an animation of some sort. I've got in my head that oh, I've probably. seen it in an animation of some sort. What kind of, like, a, a physical manifestation of it? Or a, just woman, a woman it? sat in front of, like, a, a lathe or a, one of those foot-powered um, machines that I can't remember the name of. A spinning... Spinning, like, spinning, a spinning wheel, wheel or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, like, as she's working, she's telling a story, which leads me into where I think it comes from. Okay. Which is, like... And I mentioned these before, but like lady sewing circles and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, where they would all um, natter and gossip while they were sewing. Mm-hmm. And it must have evolved over time to be, let me spin you a yarn, but yeah. synonymous with lady sewing circles people or spinning people sewing. And using yarn of various types. Yeah, it's an, it's an association. Another. So it's, the association has just grown over time, maybe. That's my idea. You're saying it in very de- definitive terms. We I'm shall saying, see. Yeah, well. Lucy? I'm usually wrong when I'm that definitive. <laughs> It does seem like it'd be something like, that, like an old thing that sprang up in in villages, basically. So it's like, ah, you know, you've sheared your sheep. Now it's time to actually, you know, turn Spin it into turn it into wool. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it would probably be quite a boring task. Like you just monotonously do it. So mm-hmm. maybe they'd tell stories while they were doing it, just you know, about magical chestnuts and trees. Yeah, <laughs> we're telling more stories about magical chestnuts and trees. <laughs> or 
a yarn mm-hmm. was a name for a bit of paper that books used to be printed on when they were before. Between scrolls and printed books, mm-hmm. we had a yarn, which mm-hmm. was a circular bit of paper that you would put onto a, like a spinning tabletop. Okay. And you would read it as it span around in front of you. That sounds that, ridiculous. And that was a story that you read. Yeah, this seems a bit excessive. That's definitely definitely taking it a step too far there. <laughs> Good work. Um, it I'm going stick, like... to stick with my second answer. All right, stick with, sticking with the second answer. Yeah. Um, you both, your first answers is both of the ones where, you know when you like go onto some sort of site and they're like, oh, it's probably this. Every one of those was, it was definitely a group of women sitting together doing some <laughs> form of sewing or knitting. I have no reason to assume it is, but it definitely is. Um, in fact, it's actually a, um, a salty term. So actually it's a sailing ah. thing. Oh. Um, and it's, this is, it's a very similar thing. People spinning yarn. So fishermen spinning their nets or whatever the ropes were for the sails. Doing that together in a group. Um, in fact, knitting and stuff like that, um, up until about, I think it was probably about 1800s, was done by men anyway. So huh. um, Women weren't trusted with the pointy sticks. Well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> and I think it was just like a very mass. It was basically giant man's fish, fisherman's nets. Yeah, yeah. Like, sewing a net. Yeah, exactly. So they had those skills already, so they then applied them to knitting. It's kind of like... Makes sense. The women did the the actual spinning, but mm. I think men did the lot the knitting. That was definitely how it worked in the Aran Islands, anyway. Which so they the knitting was. So they'd be sort of standing around making nets and yeah, yeah, making nets and like making yarn for um, sails. You know, like the rope and stuff like that. Right. Actually, mm. spinning rope, that kind of thing. Um, so the first actual recorded record that we have is from. The OED recites it, basically. But it's yarning or spinning a yarn, signifying to relate their various adventures, adventures, advent, exploits, and esca- escapes to each other, huh. um, which is from the memoirs of James Hardy Vaughan in 1819. So, yeah, it was kind of like... And it's I love the way that people call it salty. I always thought salty was actually just swearing, but salty apparently means that it's a thing that people, that sailors would say. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I assume salty was just like foul language. Yeah, yeah exactly. But apparently maybe it's just because sailors were so sweary. Mm. Oh, right. uh, That's a bonus, bonus information. Salty there. language was like sweary usually. Yeah, but exactly. I thought, like, but then sal- it, salty could of... also just be like, oh uh, yeah, just like yeah. to do with sailors. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. A salty sea dog. Um, so there's no actual explanation. It's just a description of what it is from 1819. So it must have been in use for a lot longer yeah. before then. Um, so it says, like, there's no explanation, but the theory is that sailors would spin yarn for nets and sails and tell stories while they did so. Nice. So um, that's quite cool. Um, there is also the an example of the expression spin a thread um, from 1400. Ooh. So actually a lot earlier than that. Yeah. So I think... Maybe there's been some sort of crossover of the different origins. Maybe that's a very old one, and then people started applying the older one to this newer thing that they witnessed where men were spinning their yarns for the nets and things. Who knows? But um, it's from King Alexander in 1400, which is like a medieval romance. Mm. And it's, uh, he hath a spawner thread that is a comma of evil red. Nice. So that's quite cool. Yeah. Um, there's quite a lot of crossover between threads and in etymology between thread, yarn and storytelling. Um, so some of the words like yarn is, I think it's gorn in Latin um, and has the same etymology, like the same origin as text. 
Oh, okay. And textiles and text have the same Latin origin as well. There's a lot of that kind of like, because people used textiles to write on and there's the whole like, I think in, is it in Hercules, a Disney film where they've got the, the thread of life? Yep. And they oh. cut the thread of life, and that's kind of like <laughs> the, the fates. Yeah, know, the fates. But I think in. it is actually in Jesus, in mythology. I, I can't remember whether it is a specific thing or not. But it is that theory that your life is a thread. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of stories in mythology cut and that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of that kind of. They're all intertwined with each other. So this is part of it, but that one in in particular, we only have reference to from like the 1800s. It's kind of obvious symbolism, isn't it? The idea of thinking of life as a thread, especially if you consider that they'd just be, you'd be in a city with thousands of other people and they've all got their own threads. Yeah. We call it the thread of life. Mm. There, there is specific terms around. And you think the, of something uh, red, like... The red string of fate in Japan. Yeah. Where you're, uh, there's a, a red thread that you can't see tied to your left um, little finger, I think. Mm-hmm. And it connects to the per- your soulmate, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, you know, it's just, like, various stories about finding them. And I think there's some wedding ceremonies where you essentially just tie the, ha- the fingers together. Oh, so it's like a think. Maybe making more, that up. More, yeah. I mean, but, yeah, have, it shows up a lot. You have literal threads of life as well. It's um, the, uh, I've forgotten the name of the individual in it, but the Minotaur story. Yeah. Because mm. he uses thread to find his way back through the yeah. labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, the, the rope and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, once he's... Um, I once read a I once read an interesting take on that on that Minotaur story. I don't know, Theseus? No, mm-hmm. was it was it Theseus? Is it Perseus or Perseus? An um, Eos of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> um, an old teacher of mine had rewritten a lot of the Greek tales in sort of like Stephen Fry fashion, only yeah. he'd not got it published. And um, <laughs> one of them was this idea that the Minotaur was actually a diseased individual that was forced to wear the head of the bull, and the head of oh. the bull was cursed. And the next person to take on the mantle would be cursed with the same um, illness and be forced to live in the labyrinth. It was a really dark that's tale. That's super that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Mm, yeah. It was really, an, it was a really entertaining read. I remember yeah. being very impressed by it. It reminds but, me of uh, American Horror Story. Yeah. There's a bit like that in that. Yeah, there was a bit of that there. But like, if you think of um, what I was going to say, was kind of like you know, like the bio tra- tapestry and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like the way that people recorded their lives was through especially if they didn't have writing because they couldn't mm. write anything was to actually weave like tapestries that, of the events of people's lives. Yeah. So you can see how the stories would be matched with that. And you actually read those from left to right, don't you? Like you actually, if you go and see the Bayer tapestry, yeah, yeah, you yeah. actually walk along and see the battle playing out and Harold gets shot in the eye. Uh, Spoilers. Oh. So yeah, that one kind of spanned all the things, but I thought it was pretty interesting. It's really, it is really interesting. And yeah, you don't really think about it, but thread and life being intertwined like mm. that. <laughs> intertwined. And the way people tell stories as well. Yeah. Spinning a yarn. Maybe uh, you shall spin a yarn tomorrow, Adam. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to leave a review in iTunes, stars in the Overcast app, or leave a rating in the podcast player of your choosing. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MFOR Podcast, or feel free to email us on cast at zy.io. Relevant links from this episode are in the chapter markers and our individual social media accounts are at the bottom. Thanks for listening to this production by Vamp Nation, Money for Old Rope, a podcast ostensibly about idioms. Maybe Sam will be back at some point, but until then, we're just going to keep on keeping on. Adam's going to cry a little bit every day until that ha- until that <laughs> I just hope he bloody trains. I'm not running a marathon just to have him collapse halfway He's along. Really te- Adam's going to be really dehydrated for his marathon because he'll have cried so much by the time he sees Sam. I am actually slightly worried because he's gone to the most <laughs> one of the most humid countries in the entire world and he says he's going to be training while he's out there, which is... It's a sweaty training. It's a real sweaty, sweaty training. training. Yeah, like running in Manchester at the moment. Yeah. It's hot. It's, it's real hot. God damn hot. We don't um, deal with heat. We've all we've all hit that really British thing of just being done with the heat now. <laughs> done with um, this now. 
I think we're in our, th- we're almost into our third month of it being warm. Yeah. It's confusing. Uh, I'm not and used it's to this. just really confusing everyone. We had a winter where it was cold and now we have a summer where it's hot and we don't know what to do with ourselves. Everyone's had to buy a whole new wardrobe worth of clothes. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm wearing the same outfit like every day because I have one warm weather outfit. Mm. Um, I have I, one pair of shorts. <laughs> I have literally one pair of shorts. Terence hasn't stopped wearing shorts since the summer started. <laughs> he's he's gone shorts. back to it's his confusing. like when he was at primary school. He only wore shorts for the entire time, <laughs> even in the winter. And oh I think God. he's basically just regressed into that like <laughs> super hairy like time that he had. Um, <laughs> super hairy like time. <laughs> That's a podcast title. Yeah, super I think there is like actually time. a thing in Scouts. Actually, if you wear shorts for an entire year, you get you get a badge. There's a badge for that. That just seems like you're asking for hypothermia or something. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I did, possibly. But, did, you know, no, it's still in who, Britain. Um, he lost a bet, so he had to wear shorts every Thursday, no matter what the weather was. <laughs> Why a Thursday? I don't know. It was Particularly just, cold days, I, Thursdays. Yeah, it was just, he had to wear them every Thursday. I think he also had to wear pink at least one day a week. It was, they were it's strange very complicated. People. Yeah, they were strange people. Is that like um, pink They were Wednesdays from Rochdale. From, um, you know, that film. The teenage. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, mean one? Girls. Mean Girls, where they all wear pink on we Wednesdays. Pink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe it was Adam's just looking that. really confused. It's okay. You can watch mean, mean Girls, Girls, Adam. I'm really surprised. I mean, <laughs> saying anything about a film at all is surprising, but Mean Girls, especially, no. No, yeah, no. I can see why. I have seen Freaky Friday. We'll, we'll watch Mean Girls. Is that the you can, original you can be Freaky Friday or the new Freaky Friday? Uh, there's been about fifty. Oh, okay. Whichever Which one, one was, have you seen? I don't know, 2003 or something like okay, that. Okay, so a new Freaky Friday. Newish, but there's been newer ones. I've seen the, I've seen the original. I, I don't know why. I have seen any of the new ones. I have no idea why I have seen Freaky Friday. But... Mm. Was someone tying you to a chair at the time? And you were like, I'm not sure what this is happening. Oh God, it's Freaky Friday. You know that portion uh, in the middle of the night before poker comes on, but after the news has been on and there's usually a terrible film on in between? I usually fall, I definitely fall asleep on the sofa yeah, before that point. Yeah, it's not often a thing I see. I think my nan sees that more than I do. <laughs> oh, you can put BBC Three on and watch Family Guy at that point, I think. Oh, yeah, the, the constant runs yeah, of just, Family Guy. It's always on. I enjoy going on to ITV2 at that point and watching The End of Blade. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I ever do. If it's that time of night, I'm like, oh, the thing's finished. I'm not ready to go to bed. I'll just watch the end of Blade. It <laughs> doesn't matter which Blade it is. Or um, Underworld as well. Uh, maybe watch, like maybe the, always the middle of Underworld, though. I'll never see the beginning or end of that. It's got a great middle, though. It's got a great middle. Um, That's like when you get home from school and you... I don't know if this was, this um, relates to anybody else, but you get home from school and you see the last five minutes of The Weakest Link, then The Simpsons, yep. but it was the same Simpsons episode you'd seen 15 times before. Yep. <laughs> And then Home and Away was on, I think, afterwards or something like that. But there yeah. was always some naff TV on that either side. That is sad side. TV that you were watching. Yeah. I, do, I do remember that. Watching The Weakest Link. Do you know... Specifically going out the last of your way to watch the last few minutes of The Weakest Link. Do you no, know you just put thing? it on and that was on. I was actually only about three minutes away from my house, so I got a lot of TV before. Uh, well, I say three, I mean seven minutes. I was 45 walking. minutes away from my house. The worst yeah. thing about Channel 4's Simpsons catalogue, and they've mm-hmm. still got it now, and I think it's still the same, is, you know the episode Who Shot Mr. Burns, which yeah. is like a season divider? So mm-hmm. it finishes on a season, and then it had like the nation guessing for a few months, and then it started again. Channel 4 don't have the next season. So, so you never see Who Shot Mr. Burns so on Channel happens. 4? I don't know. I have That's no amazing. Idea. I think it was Smithers. I, I... <laughs> I think it was Smithers. He seems like the type. Smithers was oh, it's definitely no spoiler for who shot Mr. Burns. It's all over the um, all over the internet, all over public consciousness in general. It's like seeing Darth Vader's. Imagine Luke's watching father. The Simpsons <gasps> from the start without actually having seen anything. 
a lot of I'm baffled ones. by the fact that there were people who saw Star Wars and didn't know that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Like, that was a... <gasps> that's a great thing. Yeah, that's I was like... Brilliant. That's really cool, because I, I didn't get to do that. I think <laughs> I knew of the phrase, but I hadn't applied it to what I was watching. I didn't really watch so them. I, I kind of... When it happened, I recognised it for being something that I was kind of conscious of. Mm. Yeah. But I only watched them when I was, like, 16. Yeah, I only saw them, like, two years ago, so... Yeah, I, I, I already deep. knew. <laughs> You'd definitely I was heard very all about that by that point. I, I, I knew most of the films. Mm. I just hadn't watched them. Yeah. It's I, the point at which you like decide which films do you watch first now. I've it's thrown well, the whole thing up in the It's air. very convoluted now. I mean, Sam and Terrence are constantly listing off films that I need to watch at some point, like The Godfather and various other nah, classics. Nah, and yeah. I just like... I only watch things that I want, that I would go out of my way to watch, or that Taryn says, you will enjoy this, and then after five minutes I say, I'm not going to enjoy this, and then I turn it off. Godfather was definitely one of those. They need to be on Netflix. I think the problem with a lot of older films, and I've said this before, is pacing's really bad in a lot of old films. Mm. Alien, I, I really like Alien as yeah. a film, but the pacing is atrociously bad in it. Even Star Wars, even Episode Four, what was Do you mean one? that it's just slow yeah, in comparison? It's slow in comparison, but it's, it's Isn't not... Isn't that just like reading Bram Stoker? Like... It's slow. That but is, but slow. It's, not, it's not that there's fluff. It's just there's a lot of like long pans yeah. and there's a lot of it's tension know, building, Adam. But it's not. It's boredom building. It's, it's nothing... tension. Oh, you don't oh. know what tension is. To be fair, I don't think Adam's ever been tense in his whole life, so I can't ever see. I'm not a tense person. He's I'm not most, a tense I'm person. The most relaxed person. I feel like you would just make. like no, we walk know Sam. away from a. I feel like in that situation where there's a tense bit in a film that lasts a good three minutes, you would just walk away and get yourself a glass of water and come back again. <laughs> That's very much you. Like, oh, I'm just going to go. <laughs> Got to buy uh, into it a little bit. Suspend goodbye. the disbelief, etc. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye.